Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of GU Cast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne um, and joined as ever by my co-host uh, Renu Epen, also a urologist here at Peter Mac in uh, Melbourne. Hello Renu. Very early good morning again to you Declan, but I'm looking forward to this one. We've been wanting to do this podcast for a while, uh, a very worthy topic I think. Yes, and it is very early in the morning in Melbourne, 6am, and usually that means we're connecting to Europe uh, to try and catch up with some of our European friends who we'll come to uh, in a moment. But also here in the studio at Peter Mac today, we have one of our one of our own urology um, trainees, one of our research fellows, Dr. Ellen O'Connor. Good morning, Ellen. Thank morning, you for coming Ellen. in early. Morning, Declan and Rooney. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll just briefly introduce myself. So like you mentioned, I'm a urology research fellow both here at Peter Mac and at the Austin. Um, I'm an unaccredited registrar, so yet to um, attain that much-wanted position on the program. Um, and I also have a part-time clinical role as an unaccredited urology registrar at Austin this year, which is partly due to sort of increasing demand from covid Yes, so you're a urology trainee, which is our theme uh, of the podcast today. Um, and before we get to our guests, uh, we are specifically talking not just about trainees in general, but about uh, research, aren't we? And you wear also a hat uh, leading um, uh, our young urology research group here in Australia, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. So I've been part of Euro just for the last two years. Um, so relatively new, but it's also a new organisation. It's been around since 2016. Um, and we're mainly targeted at those pre-set trainee level um, urology aspiring doctors um, and are quite keen to do collaborative research, but then also as a supportive role to them to help them get onto the program um, and in the future looking to do more of this collaborative research um, that Burst are doing a great job over in the UK with as well. So Euro, Y-U-R-O, yeah. Young Urology Research Organisation. Fantastic. Yeah. So thank you, Ellen, and thank you for coming in. And now let's um, uh, go over to our international friends uh, here on Zoom. We can see them on our screens uh, in the studio uh, at Peter Mac. And, and it's really great to see you guys and girl uh, here with us this morning. Um, I'm going to um, introduce you by name, but then I'm going to ask you guys to uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what stage of training you're at, and about the uh, the two big research groups that you're representing. So we have from Burst, and you'll explain who Burst are in a moment, um, Viru Kazi uh, joining us from London, along with Meg Kulkarni uh, from London as well, uh, and uh, representing um, the European Society of Research Researchers, Resident. residents in urology, residents in urology, <laughs> uh, uh, which is part of the EAU. Uh, we have uh, Diego Carrion joining us from Madrid as well. So thank you all for joining us. And I'll go first uh, to Viru to uh, introduce himself and tell us a little bit, a bit about Burst. Viru. Hey, guys. Uh, my name's Viru Cassie Visvanathan. That's the full version. Um, and I'm an academic clinical lecturer in urology um, at University College London. That means I spend half my time in research at the university and the other half uh, is in my final training year at University College London Hospital uh, in prostate cancer where I do um, robotic pelvic oncology um, and some focal therapy. Wonderful. Thank you. And Meg? Hi guys, lovely to see you. Um, so I am a second year urology trainee in London, but I'm south of the river, so a rivaling Vera who's up in the north. Um, and I'm currently out of my training doing a PhD in pet imaging and prostate cancer. So I've got about a year to go of that um, and a few more years of training left after that. 
Very good. So both in the training program and uh, Viru on a dedicated academic program. And what is BURST, Viru? BURST stands for British Urology Researchers in Surgical Training. And BURST is really the STEM, but it's the BURST Research Collaborative that makes BURST what it is. So um, BURST is something that I founded in uh, 2015. So it's been around five years. And it comprises of... um, urology trainees, um, urologists, um, allied healthcare professionals, um, statisticians, a group of people who want to contribute to high quality audit and research. That's our aim. Fantastic. And we'll come back and explore that a little bit more, but a great summary of what's really, it's only five years, is it? It's really uh, developed a very big profile, I must say, over the past five years, Vera. So well done for you and your group for putting that together. Also on the line, we want to welcome uh, Dr. Diego Carrion, who's joining us from Madrid. Uh, Diego, good morning. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, everyone. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what stage of, of training you're at uh, and tell us a little bit about ESRU. For sure. Uh, first, let me thank you for this opportunity to be here. Um, well, I just finished my residency four months ago here at La Paz Hospital in Madrid. I, I am now currently working as an attending urologist here, working too on my PhD thesis, which I hope next year will be done. And uh, I'm currently on the chairman of ESRU, the European Society of Resident in Urology. Terrific. And uh, we noted, uh, uh, looking up, because of course you're all very active on social media, we noticed that, uh, when did you say Euro was founded four years ago and yeah. Burst was founded five years ago? ESRU is, was founded, when did we see? 1991. Yeah, Good, uh, yeah. Uh, Ellen said she was born in 1991. So Ezra, <laughs> you win the, the prize already for longevity uh, in the field. Um, so thank you very much and thank you all for joining yeah. us. And I suppose the theme of our podcast is uh, trainee-led collaborative research. And this is different of course to you know big bosses and professors holding big grants and then telling you what you're going to do with it It, uh, that's why we think this is very fresh uh, and very important and the collaborative side of it is particularly important trainees lead a lot of research in our institution and other institutions as well but it's the collaborative nature of these groups that we want to um, talk to you about uh, uh, during our podcast today um renu i'm going to hand over to you meg might just get back to you for a second and how did you get started with burst how long have you been involved with burst for and and tell us about how your involvement's evolved over the years so I got involved in the best a couple of years ago now, and I've always been very interested in, in academic urology uh, and you know, new Viru through our sort of training program. And uh, I think you know, the positives you've mentioned just about that collaboration uh, and realizing, you know, we can't work in silos, you know, we can't do things on our own. And they had such a sort of approachable and um, kind of all encompassing background and very easy to get involved in projects. Uh, and they're very keen for these ideas to really come from trainees and to come from people who are at the coalface. Uh, and, and all of our projects that we've led are really just a very simple clinical concepts or issues. Um, but you know, we want to provide people with um, you know, a lot of research background and, and support in all these areas. So my role within the committee is mostly around the communication side. And, and we can discuss a little bit about what we've been doing Uh uh, and you know we now have a, a quite a big committee. There's 23 of us, um, and as Viri mentioned, it's a mix of medical students and doctors, 
Uh, and it's really just harnessing everyone's sort of individual skill set and, and using that to really drive our specialty forward. And how do you how do you run your group? Um, how do you sort of schedule your meetings? What kind of social media platforms do you use? Tell us a bit more about that. So, yeah, of course. So, um, so like I said, we're a big committee and, and we're scattered all throughout the UK. So it, it's impossible for us to, to meet face to face. And you know, obviously due to COVID, everybody suddenly over the last few months has had to learn to work in a very different way. Um, but actually, I'm glad to say we're a bit ahead of the curve in this. And, and we've done all of our communication virtually for the last few years. So we, we only meet you know, once a year, if that, as a committee. All of our meetings are done via some sort of um, virtual app. Day to day, we use a platform called Slack, which is a little bit like WhatsApp. So it's a messaging tool um, and we can link documents into that. You can have sort of subgroups. So you don't need to bother everybody when you're messaging about a particular project. Um, and like yourselves, you know, we're, we're big advocates of social media. So um, we have a, a website, which is bursturology.com. And that's just recently had a revamp. So you can learn about us, learn about our completed projects, what we're doing next. Um, we're big on Twitter. And I think, you know, as a urological sort of family, I think we've we've harnessed the good in social media and Twitter. And it's not just there for us to, to disseminate our work. It's for us to, to promote the work of our colleagues who are doing um, projects in similar areas uh, and really just to meet people and, and expand our network. Um, and so our, our Twitter handle is Burst Urology. And... As we're on a podcast, I'm going to use this to plug our new podcast as well. So um, we've just started one which is called Legends of Urology. And it's really just a chance for us to have a good chat with some very eminent urologists. I, I won't call them senior, um, but, you know, legends in the field and just, you know, talk about their illustrious careers and, and nothing's been off limits on there. I, I've really have you listened Great to that idea. podcast? Yes, yet? I have. Yeah, I've really enjoyed <laughs> your first couple of uh, uh, Legends of Urology podcasts. Uh, uh, you guys... Do a great job on that. So please keep it going. I think that's a great idea. And um, and exp- you've done, a, what, two, two UK Newcastle-based uh, surgeons and you have an upcoming one from a London-based uh, urologist, uh, I understand. But you could expand out, you know. We can, we can uh, open the doors to some legends around the world who might be flattered. I think it's a great name for a podcast, isn't it? Legends <laughs> of Urology. Yeah. Would you like to be a... <laughs> it's a great way for young urologists to, to just network, yeah, isn't it? Social um, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we'll go to you, Diego, and, and just on that same theme, how, can you tell us about the logistics of, of Ezru and, and how it works and, and what kind of social media platforms you use and uh, how you coordinate meetings, especially uh, during the pandemic? Sure. Um, well, basically, like Big One said, we have a really old group. It has evolved through the years. Currently, we, we try to have a representative, a national coordinator from every country here in Europe. And currently, we have members from 31 countries. We are 41 people in the board meetings. So it's kind of difficult to have everybody together. We basically, in well, normally, we meet two times per year, twice a year, one during the annual EAU meeting and one during um, a course that the European School of Urology organizes every September. So we do like um, on, like everybody's meet there, in like board meetings. Currently, we, we have tried Slack, but it hasn't been so popular among our group. We currently use WhatsApp. Uh, during the, well, as the, the main uh, members of the executive committee, 
we usually have our meetings together like every every two months or so via Zoom. We try to keep everybody informed in the board group, these 41 members, through um, through mail lists, uh, through, uh, I'm sorry, through newsletters. So everybody is it's aware of their projects and everybody can ask anything they want. That's basically how we how we keep together. Fantastic. And and Ellen, what about you and Euro? How 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 does it work? How do you hold your meetings? How do you coordinate things? Yep. So Euro came about very opportunistically at research meetings, which kind of self-selects for those urology trainees and junior doctors who are already interested in research and would be keen to be involved. Um, so we do make an effort at each of the both national and international meetings to have a group catch-up, either a formal dinner or just drinks or just a quick catch-up in between sessions at a conference. And that also gives us a great opportunity to network and to drag in consultants from other parts of Australia that we may not have met in person before. And we found that as a really good tool and conduit to sort of generate ideas because I think at conferences that's when people are most sort of minded towards scientific research as well and they have set that time out of their regular day and their busy clinical jobs to sort of have a think about what they want to do and plan for the future. Um, Again unfortunately with COVID-19 that's all been derailed a little bit this year and has really limited our opportunities to do that Um, and that's where sort of um, then transferring to these online um, methods uh, is the only way to go. I think Burst have a great model there with Slack and I think that's something we should probably look into in the future as well. Um, But like Diogo mentioned, um, different sort of platforms suit different groups as well. Dinner and drinks sound like a thing of the past. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Vera, yes, over to you. So I might come in now briefly. So, I mean, I think we've heard from all of the collaboratives about the importance of communication. And I think that's one of the the, the most important principle really of trainee-led collaborative research. And although COVID has brought us many challenges, one of the key advantages of the era we're in now is that we're kind of being forced to use this technology um, and, you know, using Slack, whatever your communications uh, platform is, uh, your web conferencing software, all of these things can improve the way we uh, treat patients and the way we do research. And um, a shameless plug is if you're interested in trying to find out more about how you might use that in your patient care. We've just published an article in BMJ Innovations on communications tools in the COVID-19 era, um, led by Kieran Clement, which I think is a nice way of summarizing for the listeners um, how you might change the way you communicate. Um, And it's using things that we've used in our trainee-led collaborations um, in normal clinical practice. And we'll put a link to that on the, the podcast uh, hosting site as well, Vera. You're absolutely right. But while we have you, um, and thank you all for giving us a little bit of background. And I think uh, there are different motivations for why um, young trainees or aspiring trainees want to get into this. And I think you've hinted at a lot of that. Some of it is just, it, it's social, uh, meeting colleagues and learning a little bit from each other. Uh, it's social climbing. I think it does help. Um, ESRU, for example, when you go to EAU, they have quite a presence because they're they're a part of the EAU. So they, they get plenty of uh, profile uh, through social media with EAU uh, as well. And it's great for young people who want to get involved uh, to go to ESRU. And then you meet you know, some, you know, some really um, uh, profligate people 
people who are already successful and so on. So there's there are social aspects to it. There are purely selfish aspects because you want to uh, advance your own um, CV, so you maybe you're more competitive to get into training uh, and so on. And we'll we'll drift around all those themes. These are all worthy themes, uh, I would say. But Viru, um, I want to ask you about some of the. Uh, successes that Burst has had, not just in achieving those aims I've mentioned, like getting together, getting a group, helping each other out, but in in doing meaningful research. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, because Burst have, in its early history, kicked a few big goals, uh, as we would say around here, uh, in getting some significant work underway. So yeah, we have a few themes of work, and one of the things we uh, focus on is getting the trainees to propose the ideas and giving them the infrastructure to develop those into something that we can launch. And our key principles are methodologically robust research, which has been peer-reviewed, and the planning stage is important. So the first project we launched was a project called MIMIC, which looked at the relevant inflammatory markers in patients presenting with acute renal colic. And the reason we chose that is because it was a common pathology, um, our treasurer at the time, who is our vice chair now, Tamer Shah, proposed the idea at a dragon's den type setting where people present the ideas and um, they get a bit of critique and they get a hard time. And then at the end, the winning idea is taken forward. Um, and so uh, what we wanted to do is prove that what we were proposing, this model of training-led collaboration would, would work. So uh, we, it was a retrospective observational study looking at patients with renal colic and uh, we set it up initially hoping we'd get a few hundred patients. Uh, we ended up getting 4,000 patients uh, over 50 sites, uh, four or five countries. And um, it showed that if you have a vision, you communicate that vision well, you peer review your idea, communicate that well to people in your network, you can get some traction. Um, we published that paper in the British Journal of Urology International. Um, it showed that white cell count, which was the inflammatory marker of primary interest was not associated with um, ureteric colic. Um, if it was, it would be a good biomarker for us to uh, decide whether or not to intervene in patients with renal colic. Um, it also showed us that if you plan a study well, even if you have a negative result, it's worth publishing. Um, and that goes into the background of the work. That was the first major study we did. Uh, we built on that and uh, designed a study called Identify, which um, looks at the optimizing the way that we diagnose urothelial cancer. Um, that was an international study uh, in over 11,000 patients um, in around um, 50 countries, uh, 50 centers, sorry. And um, that is ongoing. We're writing up the papers. They're in submission to uh, uh, some decent journals. And what we've learned from that is we're hoping to um, redefine uh, how people diagnose urothelial cancer. Uh, we've got contemporary prevalence rates. We want to optimize the use of imaging and uh, maybe change the paradigms in how everyone with hematuria has a flexible cystoscopy. Uh, and God forbid we don't do some. Um, that, that's the, the kind of some of the, the, the themes we're touching on. Um, and we've presented that at a few conferences um, internationally. Um, the next study leading on from Identify is called Resect. That will be um, the largest international prospective study of transurethral resection of bladder tumors. And this is a technique which we know is subject to quite a lot of variation. 
and um, variation in your technique can lead to quite different outcomes for patients. So we think there's a niche there for us to target. And we're hoping that by giving a feedback to sites taking part in this study, they can improve their own practice. Um, that's a study that we're launching in the next few months. So sites are welcome to join. They just need to go to our website, which is www.bursturology.com. Um, that's the next main study. As well as that, we have a few others. So there are some interventional studies we're working up. Uh, we have themes in testicular torsion. An interesting study is called DETORT, which is looking at the value of ultrasound in reducing the negative exploration rate of the, one of our most important neurological emergencies. And we want to change the way that everyone with a suspicion of uh, torsion gets an, gets an exploration. So you can see we've moved from some quite non-controversial, mm -hmm. um, simple ideas to deliver to something that's a bit more uh, disruptive. We like disruptive. <laughs> if someone tells me that this is not going to work, um, it motivates me to do it more. So, um, yeah, that's a brief overview of some of the things uh, we're doing. But I don't, I don't know, there might be a few other things which I haven't covered. And I apologize to people who have worked hard on things that I haven't mentioned. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great summary and, and really impressive. Um, yeah. I mean, these numbers are incredible. Um, Viri, can really I, are. I, I, it's unheard of, right? It's, it's incredible. And, and that's, you know, that's the value of, of collaborative research. And, and this is not like a large professional collaborative trial group that no. you're talking about here. When exactly. you, Normally when you're hearing multiple thousands of patients, 50, 50 centres. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, how, how do they do this, Renu? Uh, uh, tell us, Viri, what, what, can, can I ask about your source of funding for all of this? So um, the first study, MIMIC, cost um, nothing other than the hard sweat and tears of the <laughs> committee members. Um, it was probably the most economical study ever run. However, um, we have got funding for our subsequent studies. It's usually small charity funding. Um, our most recent study, Resect, has got slightly bigger funding from a charity called the Rose Trees, as well as support from the BJUI and, and the Urology Foundation. And uh, generally what we find is, is as we move along in our journey, uh, the type of things we're targeting are bigger. And let's not forget, we're quite a valuable commodity. Um, we're a group of people who have expertise to design, um, run, get engagement from centers around the world, um, and we've, we're pretty cheap. So um, really, the, the, as we've shown success, we move on to the next thing. So. The next thing are our interventional studies. And for those, we're talking about big national government grants, which we're working towards. So, yeah, funding is essential for the interventional stuff. There's a lot you can do without that. And I think just keeping, you know, that's great to have the interventional stuff, but keeping some momentum on these more simple patterns of care, even retrospective stuff, ha still has some value when you can mobilize big numbers and get stuff done quickly. And when you talked about reaching out to other countries, I, I want to speak to uh, Diego and Ellen about this now. Uh, this is part of uh, why we want to explore this theme of trainee-led collaborative research. So if you have a nice study that it's a common problem or it's a controversial area, you know what's happening in Madrid and in Prague in Berlin and, and Sydney and Melbourne as well. So how, how does that work uh, in reaching out to the other organisations? Uh, Diego, tell us a little bit about ESRU and, and have you had any interaction with BURST um, in, in any of these projects that uh, have been mentioned? Yes, well, basically we... We're pretty jealous about the projects uh, that Burst has. So are we. We're, we're all jealous. Yeah. yeah. 
it's a pretty amazing work what they have done. We we always try to collaborate with them, getting their projects to be to be spread and to be known by all members of ESRU of ESRU participating countries, so we can help them recruit more and more centers. That's the way we interact with BURST. We are we always have uh, one representative. Burr has gone has been in the last board meetings too, because he sh he shows up his results and his projects that he's going to work on. And well, basically, what um, what we have done in the last years, uh, it has been grown exponentially. Hopefully, I've been in the best. Uh, I think it's the best time for Esru. Uh, approximately in 2017, we published um, two papers only. In 2018, there was four papers published in journals. In 2019, there was eight. And now, in, through this year, in 2020, there has been come out uh, around 20 papers published in journals about our research and our collaborations. And we have like five or six more projects in press. We have... Uh, our studies, which I will mention now, we have won the best poster of the session award in the EAU Congress in 2017, 2018, and 2019. So we're, we're pretty happy about the results. It had been a lot of work, but um, mainly, as you say, Declan, we have the support of the European Association of Urology, which they let us organize the, um, like the residence day during the Congress. So we have our own program, our, our own speakers, our contests, and then we can show up what we have been doing. Plus have a lot of networking between us and the residents. We always try to, to make um, like really, really good sessions and invite uh, nice speakers. So residents are all, uh, they want to come and they want to hear what we have to say about them. We always have some, some sessions about what the EAU can offer to you, about the EAU scholarship program, about the EAU fellowship programs. So that's the part that we have in collaboration with EAU. Organizing your day, that's the, the residence day in the Congress. We also have um, the residence corner of the European Urology Today, which is the newspaper of the European Association of Urology. We also can help uh, national organizations through Europe to organize better their residence group. We have um, really, really impressive organizations, uh, like I think uh, in Germany, in France, here in Spain, in Italy, and in the UK, those are like the, the best organized ones. And we have this experience so we can help other countries which are starting. Um, the last, the last projects that I, I would like to mention that we're most proud of are one in, we, in which we analyze the difference between in andrology and in male infertility surgical training between the United States residents and the European residents. This was done with the collaboration of, uh, of our research group in the United States. Then we analyzed uh, with some surveys in which all, all the participants of the Europe course who are senior residents helped us filling out the surveys and we analyze the current surgical uh, training and confidence of surgical trainees. These are senior trainees. So very interesting things came out of the survey. Basically, that simulation training was not available in all hospitals, and it really involved uh, improved confidence of trainees. And um, 
what we all know, as much, as much cases, as more cases you can do about a certain surgery, you'll feel more comfortable about it. Assistance, assistance to practical courses was also um, in accordance with the, with the, um, I mean, with the confidence. Another aspect we analyzed is the scientific, academic, and research involvement of resonance here in, in Europe. We, are, we got those papers published last year. It was really exciting for us. We are now currently working on the final results of an evidence-based medicine survey about if residents know the basic knowledge about evidence-based medicine and if they use it. We are also working on the final manuscript of the economic expenses of residents. We asked them if um, what's the differences, if they, they get the sponsorship for assistance to courses, to congresses, for their journals, for their materials of training, simulators and stuff, and if this affected their economy, their personal costs. We're also, our last project was a, a retrospective study of the trends and presentation of renal colic in, the, in, in Spain and Italy while we were in lockdown. So we got pretty nice results. The article is in press and it will be released soon. Also, we have the, we have the help of the Italian Journal of Urology, Minerva Urologica and Nephrologica, which they, they help us with the mentoring while writing systematic reviews and meta-analysis. So this is also from our from another of our executive committee members, the, the past chairman, Francesco Sperto. He, he managed to create groups in which younger residents would be trained and led by, by more experienced academic professors so they could write systematic reviews and meta-analysis. And so far we have published more than 15 of these in Minerva Urologica and Nephrologica. So these are our basic achievements that I can remember right now. Fantastic. And, and yeah, and that impact factor on that journal has gone up to 3.5, uh, I think, this time around. So it really has become a valuable vehicle under Porpiglia and, and his team. So a great, great summary. And I think that uh, speaks to the spirit of many of these uh, trainee-led organizations. You have the important platforms to mix and mingle and, and learn from each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you're also producing some really good uh, academic uh, work. And I don't think all organizations have to do the same thing. You can do different things at different times and um, here in australia it was predominantly research oriented i think ellen uh, the genesis of euro the young urology research group um, um, but i'm sure you have a lot of this other social mingling learning from each other you know uh, how to get on to training programs etc etc what have been the most valuable bits i suppose uh, that you found in euro in the in recent years yeah that's right declan so certainly euro hasn't managed to achieve um nearly to the extent of what Burst and Ezru have done, but we do sort of focus at a more local level and appealing to our demographic, which is predominantly at this stage pre-set trainees um, who might be taking their first steps into research. Um, and as we all know, mentorship is a huge thing in order to get that first step into research. And I think what we forget is that mentors don't necessarily need to be highly academic um, consultant urologist. They can be someone who's one or two years ahead of you that has literally published one paper that will give you those first directions as to where to start, who to contact, how you go about getting ethics approval, how you go about approaching a consultant to make those first steps. 
Um, so further to that, Euro also offers that supportive role, um, statistical support and also resources um, to help those junior doctors move forward from that point of view. Current projects we're working on reflect that. So that is um, helping to sort of demystify the process of publication ethics approval um, and also to improve general clinical knowledge of um, like-minded urology junior doctors um, and we're working on a Euro-led um, textbook which is uh, demystifying those sort of um, clinical scenarios. And one of the other things that uh, gels these three groups is USANS, um, uh, the Urology Society here in Australia and New Zealand uh, has a trainee week every year, which is really good, brings trainees together from across Australia and New Zealand uh, for a one week um, uh, intensive week of education, but also a lot of socialisation. And in recent years, they've invited um, members of uh, the EAU, young trainees and BAUS um, and the Canadians, I think, as well. So uh, that's been very valuable. We hear great feedback from having um, a couple of European trainees come down to Australia for a week for this uh, intensive thing uh, and likewise Australian trainees go up to the Europe uh, meeting the trainee uh, a week-long meeting as well so I think that's a, a good thing that gels us uh, together as well Renu. Yeah absolutely and and then I think you touched on an important topic Ellen and, and that's that that value of mentorship when it comes to young people budding urologists those who are interested but just don't know where to go for the right sort of advice and help um, and, you know, we're very proud of our young researchers and you've really led the charge uh, in, in this last couple of years and, and, and congrats to you on that. Oh, thanks so much. So um, uh, in finishing, the last few things we want to talk about, Viru, are things like the challenges or the barriers you face because all this stuff, I think, is quite amazing, some of the achievements that, that all these young resident uh, organisations have done, but there are huge barriers uh, and uh, we want to hear from you about the, the barriers you face or the things that might help uh, you achieve some of your goals. And, for example, we had Freddie Hamdi on the um, podcast a few weeks ago, the, the new editor-in-chief of the BJUI, um, and he's commented that um, this is a very important area for him to support trainees in the same way as Diego has highlighted the uh, the trainees' corner, the resident corner in the Euro Today newspaper. Uh, Freddie has now introduced uh, a trainees corner as well um, uh, and yourself and Meg are involved in that. So tell us a little bit about that but also can you please flag for us uh, other things you would like to see happen or barriers you face uh, that you want to just uh, put on the table um, that if only this could happen then we could do something else. Your wish list. The wish list. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll start on a positive note on uh, when we started uh, how it works because you've kind of got a blank piece of paper in front of you and you have to try and make something happen and that's quite hard without any support so we do need to thank Baus uh, particularly uh, the late Rob Pickard and uh, Mark Emberton um, as well as John McGraw, uh, Vincent Nanasabrakum and Howard Kiniston who initially supported us from within the Baus academic section um, and they gave us a small amount of funding to get off the ground. Um, when you have a group like that who believe in you and let you run with your ideas, it makes a big difference. Um, so um, we also have a few um, everlasting followers who uh, the origins of the word burst are from the trainees in the UK when they met together at BAUS every year. And there are a few people uh, like Darren Smith who are integral in making that happen, who are very loud and vocal on social media and who are avid supporters of us who we're very grateful for. So we should mention all those names as well and um, the challenges we have. So um, you have to convince 
um, a group of people who are time poor to do something that they may not necessarily would have otherwise have done. And uh, one of the things that can help in overcoming that challenge is having the national training organizations endorse what you're doing. And the key thing for that is saying, contributing to collaborative research counts in your certificate of completion of training. And that's actually something we achieved. We lobbied the BAUS uh, SAC chairs and they changed the guidelines. Although I'm led to believe it might be changing back soon, um, I think that's a barrier that in other countries, if it could be overcome, would change the way that um, they allow their trainees and encourage their trainees to get involved in research. If for your work, you get um, skills in research, papers, and contribution to completing your training program, what more could you want? Mm. So that would be an ideal scenario. The second thing I would like is for every trainee, when they move to a job, are allocated a trainee collaborative project as a mandatory thing to do. Okay, so that's what they're doing in some specialties in general surgery. When they go to their training appraisals, their training director says, why aren't you taking part in the training in a trainee-led collaborative project? That requires a change in mentality. Um, I think it's possible. And maybe uh, some of the work we're doing will help that. Um, but we're not there yet. Um, I think the third thing is a change of mentality, not just in trainee-led research, but in research amongst clinicians in general. And I'm of the feeling that every patient we see should be offered involvement in a clinical trial. And that might sound quite ambitious, but I think um, we owe it to patients to try and improve the quality of care we're giving them. And one way of doing that is with trials. It makes things a lot harder, but if you have a service that has that mentality, and everyone is contributing to research, it will make it easier for the trainee collaborative research groups to exist and thrive. Um, those will be probably three of the my, my biggest wish list things. And on the third point, I think something that will help you is your new president of BAUS, uh, Tim O'Brien, who was on the podcast with us recently as well, very clearly articulated in his vision statement recently that he wants research to be uh, very firmly positioned as a high priority in routine clinical care. Uh, and he's, you know, and we know when Tim O'Brien says he wants to see something happen, it's difficult to stop the immovable force that is Tim O'Brien. So I think research will very much be strategically positioned by BAUS as a really important thing. Thing. So that, that, that might gel. You've outlined those uh, beautifully. Uh, Diego, can I ask you uh, about um, any barriers that you see facing ESRU and similar organizations or things that you would like to see happen in the coming years to help ESRU and other organizations like this? Well, basically, we, we are really, we depend on the support on our former members who have all the experience and can guide us. We also, one thing that we, have, we are grateful for is that having friends or former members now in the, in the higher EAUA positions in the young academics groups and in the guidelines panels. So they help us a lot and they mentor our work. That's one of the, the great things we have. Um, currently, we, we have little funding, which helps us to, to meet together in the board meetings. And... Um, what, what we could ask for is, um, well, really more commitment and continuous commitment of all members of SRU, which um, this way we could all work together. We're, we're a lot of people 
So we can take a lot of projects uh, ahead. So that's really the hardest part to get all people involved. There may be some people that, that have their own, um, I mean, their own difficulties. They have a lot of, of, of hours in the hospital. They have their own training projects, their own PhD thesis. So maybe they are, they do not work as hard as they can, but uh, we have accomplished a lot. So that's our, our goal is to keep everybody in the group motivated so they can push in, push in and give ideas because we receive ideas for all, from all our members. We work them through and we get the best ideas to work out in, as projects. Some members just uh, come up with some survey ideas, some interesting trouble they want to meet. And that's it. We have to keep people motivated and working hard as, as we have done in the previous years because that's, that's the key for success. We would like more journals like Minerva Urologica Nephrologica from Italy to help us with uh, resident corners. So our, our residents can, uh, can begin to publish case reports or case series so they can grow in, into that aspect. And that, that will be one of our future goals too. Fantastic, Diego. Um, and over to you, Ellen. Can you tell us about some of the barriers and challenges that you face and, and some of your ambitions for the future of Euro? Yeah, certainly. So I think one of the big barriers which um, these guys have already touched on to some degree is maintaining interest in particular from trainees and junior doctors and certainly within Euro I think there's a this a real trend in Australia for um, potential urology trainees to work really hard in those junior years get on the program having had done their research behind them and not necessarily staying engaged um, and this is of course by no fault of their own because once you do get onto a training program it's very busy and arduous um, we also move around quite a lot and you might be moving um, to an entirely different state once you get on the program so starting up those relationships again can be quite difficult um, I think from a funding perspective, we've been quite lucky to have some really good sponsors behind us over the years and that's been able to facilitate having travel grants and scholarships available for our members. So that's been a real strength of Euro to support not only getting started on research but actually being able to go to conferences um, and sort of Im improving the access there. Um, one thing I'd love to put to Vero would be a, a limitation that's seen in collaborative research is what our quality control is when we're using a um, huge number of sites with a huge number of data points and how you go about auditing that and ensuring that the quality of research is coming through at the data entry point in order to facilitate quality results. Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so I think there's a couple of things. One is um, who you let take part in your study and you can gain information on the sites from things like site registration surveys. Um, and the data points you ask about can be quite carefully planned to be uh, proxy indicators of uh, the quality of work going on at that site. That's one thing. The second thing is um, in your database design, you can have um, automated validation fields. So the quality of data being inputted has to meet a certain standard. And that process of designing the database requires expertise in database creation, piloting, repiloting, repiloting, and repiloting. And eventually you get there into something that looks okay. So the end result is something that's usable in a good format. 
And the third thing is post hoc, um, we check data records. There are ways of doing that globally across a big data set. And there are ways of doing that on an individual level. And uh, a testament to our identify lead, Sinan Kaduri, who's our new vice chair elect, and he checked every single record of the 11,000 records himself. Um, so, um, you know, there are different ways of doing it. Um, for your own health and if you don't want to expire your caffeine supplies, I don't recommend check checking every record. But there are ways of building in quality control mechanisms into that design. Fantastic. And Meg, I want to ask you the final question, which flows off uh, what a theme that Diego just mentioned about the continuing commitments and challenges in people staying committed, because by the very nature of these organizations, they, they're they're finite. You know, one day you're not a trainee anymore uh, and that's it, you're gone. And, uh, you know, myself and Nathan Lorenzhuk, uh, who supervise a lot of uh, trainees around here, find it uh, uh, distressing sometimes when this fantastic young trainee who's done a great job putting this project together, then they get on the training program program and then they just get swallowed up by the busyness of a, a clinical life or life in general they you know uh, kids and stuff will intervene so how, how do you how do we do that how, is there a transition that we need to build in a little bit better so these talented people like yourselves who are involved in trainee-led research can then transition into you know consultant-led research and mentor the trainees and so on um, so have you any, any final comments on that uh, how we retain this enthusiasm and and make sure we, we all continue to benefit as you all transition into consultant life? That, that's a really great question. And, and it's certainly in the UK, uh, as we've alluded to, we move on so fast and, you know, one year you're in one unit, the next year you could be 50, 60 miles away or further. So I think an important point is, um, you know, all these ideas are generated by trainees. So I think, you know, you've got a lot of ownership and interest in it. Um, and they're, they're things that have, have, have sprung up clinically that yourselves or, or our colleagues have encountered. So they're, they're pragmatic, they're practical. Um, and we want all this data collection to be easy. You know, we were a our resources are limited, our funding's limited, and our time's limited. So I think the fact that these ideas are driven by trainees is so fundamental to why this works. Um, in our committee, we've got a few of our colleagues who have just finished their training, but they're, they're very much you know, still embedded in the projects we've done. Um, and actually, they can use that, and they can mentor the rest of our committee. So we've got some really fantastic medical students, and they never cease to amaze me with how skilled uh, and driven they are. Um, and and we benefit from them and, and they can benefit from us uh, and we also you know we do reward people and that is important so um, you know whilst you know Vera and myself and our colleagues are, are sort of the face of this you know a significant amount of this work is done by all of our collaborators um, and from the outset we're very clear with the more you put in the more you're going to get out of it so we want people to be recognized everybody has a chance to present everybody has a chance to publish and write um, and again i think if you you are getting something out of this for yourself you're going to be more interested and and want to stick with it so i think that that's something that's important and and communication as we said i think underpins this and um, we're very transparent with what we're doing um, and the real goal of this isn't to just bring ourselves up, it's to, to drive our specialty up and, and bring everyone up with us. Um, and platforms like this are a great way for us to do that and, and share what we do. Fantastic. How fantastic. That was very enjoyable, Renee. Yeah, it was Renew, very wasn't enjoyable, it? yeah. <laughs>
Absolutely. Well, thank you very much uh, to all of you uh, for making time to join us today uh, to Burst, Ezru uh, and Euro and indeed all the other collaborative research um, uh, trainee-led organisations around the world who are very active in this space. We just think it's extremely worthy and we want to do what we can to support you. We will put links uh, in the podcast uh, uh, description to your organisations and to the Legends of Urology podcast. Keep it up, folks. Keep up the good work and we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you very much.